not alone. Is that where it's supposed to be? Yeah, otherwise I, I can play that little ditty over and over. <laughs> it's over and over and over. <laughs> kind of does that. <laughs> and you that- can lay this down. You're not alone. Uh, I'm going to miss it. <laughs> Okay, let's do that one more day. One more day. It's so hard to hear where that comes in. We're leaving. Can you please do this? And she was like, we were planning on it already. So uh, thank you so much, Kurt and Ashley. You guys sounded so good. Uh, If you'll join me, we'll just go ahead and open up in prayer as we get ready to dive into God's word. Father God, we, we thank you so much just again for this opportunity to gather together. And God, just open up your word and see what you have to say. God, we believe that your word is living and active. God, that you have a message prepared for your people today. And so I pray, open our hearts. Let us hear what you have to say. I pray that it be your words that are spoken and not be what I have to say, but what you have to say. God, we pray for those who are not able to be with us this morning. We pray for Travis and Amy again as they are traveling to um, hopefully get medical help. Uh, God, we pray that you work through the doctors and just uh, bring healing to his body. We pray for those, uh, Marlene and David, who have been battling the virus as well. We pray for Paul and Myla and Pam. Uh, We pray for those who I can't draw to mind right now who are not able to be with us because of this virus going on. We thank you that we have the technology, that they can join us right now. And so, welcome to them. And God, we just pray that you bring healing to their body. God, help them be able to join us again. We pray that at some point in the near future, all of us be able to gather together again, maybe in this location. But God, if it be in heaven, that'd be so amazing. But we pray right now that you speak to us. We need this. We need you. In the name of Jesus that makes it all possible, amen. So my favorite movies are war movies. I mean, if there is a new war movie that is coming out, like I get excited about it, like especially if it's true story, then it it just resonates in me all the more. It is like, man, that is one, like the one movie that I'm like, I'm willing to go to the theaters and watch. I'm not big on theaters very often, but like if there is a really good war movie coming out, I want to go to it. And it's because there's something inside of these movies, like 13 Hours of Benghazi is probably my favorite movie of all time. And there's just something in that movie that resonates inside of me. I mean, here you have in that movie specifically, 13 Hours of Benghazi, you have these men who go over to Benghazi and they are fighting to protect the American embassy. And you can see just as they are fighting, they're fighting for something bigger. They have dedicated their life to the protection of the American embassy, to the protection of American diplomats and American soil and American liberties, and they are willing to do whatever it's going to take to fulfill that promise. They're willing to give their lives for it, and in that event, multiple of them did give their lives. 
But it's just like, man, these, these men are willing to sacrifice everything, comforts, free, like their own personal freedoms. They're taking commanding orders, and it's really do or be court-martialed. I mean, there's not a lot of say in it. And so they're willing to, like, give their own freedom so that we can have ours. They're willing to leave their families and, like, sacrifice so much. And I've said it before, service men and women have such a place in my heart. So thank you. If you are serving, if you have served, I appreciate it so much. And these movies, I feel, just give a glimpse of what they're willing to do. But man, I'll tell you, it resonates in me. It like gets me ready. It's like, man, if I wasn't already being a pastor, if I could do this whole life thing over again, sign me up. I'm ready to go. That's not God's plan for my life in that sense. But each and every one of us have that call on our lives. If we have given our life over to Christ, we have that call. We are fighting for a higher purpose. And no offense to any military member, it's higher than the freedoms of America. I mean, I appreciate what they do, but we're fighting for an eternal freedom. We're fighting for salvation. We're fighting a a spiritual battle. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, where he says we don't fight flesh and blood, but instead we fight the spiritualities. We fight the principalities. We fight darkness. So we are in a battle, and each and every one of us has been called to a higher calling. This life is not for you. This life is not about your comforts even. America's doing a good job of lying to us about that, that it's about how comfortable can I be. It's not about that. Your life, if you have given your life over to Christ, is about something so much more, and it should resonate in you. So the question is, what are you fighting for? I mean, some of you might be like, well, currently I'm fighting for this relationship. Some of you might be like, well, currently I'm fighting a virus. I'm fighting something. All of those are things worth fighting. But are you truly fighting for something right now in your life? And it's not just something. Are you truly fighting for God? There's been a saying, and uh, I, I don't remember who made the statement, but they said, all men die few men rarely live. And so when you look back on your life, you know, say you get to live, uh, Doug Westervelt and I were talking this morning, and apparently you can find out how long you're going to live. Heather, I'm living till I'm 84. We're not going to make 60 years. I'm sorry. And it does not mean give me more vegetables. That won't help it. (laughs) But like it says, you know, how it it does all this mumbo jumbo stuff. This is how long you're going to live. It said I can live to be 84 years old. And so it was like, okay, so say I'm 84 years and I look back on my life and am I going to say, man, I really live this life for Christ. Are you going to be able to say that? Where it's like, man, I sold out for Jesus. Or is it going to be, yeah, I placed my faith in Christ, and that was really the end of it. Are we really living everything we have for Jesus? Because we're going through this series called Flipping the Switch, where we are trying to change this whole mindset in our heads about what it is to be a part of the church. What it is not just to be a part of the church, what it is to be the church. 
Because again, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, Simon Peter, he, he says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, is that how we're viewing what the church really is? Because I feel like there needs to be a flipping in our mindset, and not just at Center Christian Church, but really in America, about what church is. It's not attendance. You can't define church by attendance. And if you are, it's wrong. And we have to change our minds about what it is. That's why we're doing this series to try and flip the switch in our heads about what church truly is. And so last week we started this series and we said that we need to flip the switch in our minds that once we give our lives over to Christ, that's pretty much all it is. But instead we are called to go and share our testimony with other people. I mean, we're called on a mission. We call it the great commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And in verse 18, Jesus said, you know why you should do this? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you should do it because I'm king, I'm Jesus, and I get to call the shots. And too often we think, well, I really don't want to do that. Yes, you're Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to opt out of that decision. And again, we're called to something higher. So imagine if a military person would be like, actually, I'm going to opt out of that one. They get in trouble. So, I mean, you know, maybe we play too heavy on the grace card, and I'm very much on grace. I love grace. I live by grace. I'm saved by grace. But at the same time, I take advantage of grace. Because for me, it's like, well, I won't do that one, God, but you still love me. And I can throw out that grace card at you, and you have to forgive me. So really, I get to call the shots, and you're forced to forgive. Which I believe Jesus does forgive us. But man, is that really how we want to live our lives with Jesus? Like, <laughs> I'm just going to force grace on you every time, Jesus. You have to do that for me. No, that's not a relationship with Jesus. So we are called to something so much higher. And we're called to share our testimony, to truly grasp what Jesus has done for us, and then to share that with other people. Every single person in here who has said, I'm saved by grace, you have a testimony. And it's that. You're saved by grace. I'm saved by grace you're saved by grace, and if you haven't been saved, you can be saved by grace. And we should be, like, so excited to share this message with everybody else. Like, hey, yeah, you messed up in your past? Me too, but God loves you and gave his life for you so that you can be in relationship with him. We should be, like Jeremiah said, this was the passage that we quoted multiple times last week. Jeremiah said, if I try and keep quiet about it, if I try not to speak in his name, it is a fire inside my bones that burns and I cannot help but speak it. Peter and John said, you decide whether it's right 
But what we are going to do is we can't help but speak in the name of Jesus. And so that's our testimony. It should be. That it's like, man, I cannot help but speak about Jesus. And so we're looking at seven uh, tenets or seven what things that the Bible says, if you are a part of the church, if you are the church, this is what should define your life. These should be the seven markers of your life. Because again, you can't separate Christian from church. When you become a Christian, you are automatically a part of the body. And so Paul, he tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's talking about the whole church being the body. He says, you are the body of Christ. And he says, you know, you're all little individual members that make up the body. And you can't separate parts of the body. Like you cut off your arm, you're going to pay for it. You cut off your knee, your leg from the knee down, you're going to pay for it. Like if part of the church is gone, it should hurt. We're going to notice it. And if you say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a part of the church, you're kind of dead. Because that's like cutting off your arm and being like, man, that arm is thriving. That arm is succeeding. It is living so healthy over there aside from the body. And any doctor, which I am, would be like, that is not true. I'm not a doctor. I'm going to plug that in every time I can, though. But so then, right before that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us, he says, All of you have been entrusted with gifts. Some, you have the gift of prophecy. Some, you have the gift of serving. Some, you have the the gift of uh, mercy. Every single one, he says, when you give your life over to Christ, he gives you spiritual gifts. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, which every single Christian has received a gift, he says, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so Peter is making a statement right there. He is saying that each one of us has received a gift. Now, they're not all the same gifts. For me, my gift is speaking, being up here and speaking. For others, your gift might be uh, you're really good working with your hands. Others, it might be mercy. Others, it might be counseling. Whatever it is, God has entrusted you with a gift. Now, here's the thing. God is commanding you to use that gift to serve other people. That gift's not just for you. It is you. It is for you to serve other people. That is commanded by God. And so I think we need to flip the switch in our heads about what it is as a church. It is not to just, again, come and sit down and then leave and call it good. And boy, I really didn't get anything out of that. Or man, Kurt really nailed that special with Ashley or whatever it is. But it is man. God, what gift have you entrusted to me? How can I use that to serve your people now? Because Jesus, I mean, just look at society today, and there is a running debate about who the greatest in the world is. 
I mean, it's like, who's the greatest quarterback in the NFL? Who's the greatest basketball player, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Who's the greatest cook ever? I don't know if that's a debate. Heather wins. But, you know, it's who, who's the greatest whatever? Who's the greatest president? Who's the greatest nation? We're always looking for the greatest. And on multiple occasions, Jesus said, you want to know who the greatest really is? It's not who can put a basketball through a hoop. It's not who can throw the ball 60 yards. The greatest is the one that serves. Mark 9, 33 through 35, it says they came to Capernaum. And when he, being Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had the argument with one another about who is the greatest. And so Jesus sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If any one of you wants to be the first, you must be last of all and servant of all. So if you want to be the greatest, humble yourselves and serve one another. Then he said in Matthew 23, talking to the Pharisees and saying, Woe to you Pharisees for your whitewashed tombs. And then he ends up saying, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, <laughs> you're going to be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus is saying right there, hey, you want to be a follower of mine? Serve other people. Use the gifts that I give you to serve one another. You want to be a follower of mine? Stop looking at yourself and look outward. If you see a need, meet a need. If you can't meet the need, help somebody else. And for everybody that's like stuck at home right now on quarantine, I would say serve by praying. I mean, that's a great way to serve, to help other people out. It's like, I can't be with you physically, but man, I'm going to pray for you. Let me call you. Let me reach out to you. I'm going to be there to help you through this life, even if it's just through encouragement. I would definitely consider that a form of serving. But Jesus expects his followers to serve one another. Paul, as he's writing to the church in Galatia, he tells them that they should pay special attention to those who are in the faith. Because it's like, well, you know, I go to work and I serve people there. But Paul says in Galatians 6.10, he says, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So yes, even people at work do good to them. But then he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so when we gather together, this is a great opportunity to serve one another. It's a great opportunity to be there for one another, lifting one another up, seeing how can I have a little less of me and a little more of Jesus and help that person out. The body of believers is an amazing place to use your gifts. I think it should be one of the most, uh, most important places to be able to use your gifts. That this is where it's like, man, I have this gift. All right, how can I use this to serve God and serve his people? Because again, Peter said, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards... Of God's very grace. If you speak, do it as one who speaks oracles. If you serve, as one who serves by the strength that God supplied. In order that, the goal of it, is for God to be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we use these gifts to glorify God. To, to bring his name higher and higher. 
man, you're so good at that. No, I am just trying to glorify God. You build something, it's for the glory of God. You, you pick up a piece of trash. I'm telling you, there is nothing too small to serve God. I don't think you can be like, well, all I can do is really like pick up a piece of trash. Praise God for that. Like, if you think, man, this, this way of serving is not as important as what Andy does on stage, you're mistaken. And you're elevating me on a platform that I don't think needs to be elevated on. God wants you to use your gifts to glorify him. So when you use your gifts to glorify him, he is glorified. And there are multiple ways. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, that sounds great, but I don't know what my gift is. Just Google spiritual gift test. And I did the first one that came up. And it's free. And so you'll, you'll fill it out and it will tell you, this is what you're good at. Turns out they think I'm good at speaking. They must have never heard me talk. But it's like, that's what they said my spiritual gift is. Is speaking <laughs> welly, goodly, well. Is being a good speaker. They said, this is your gift. And it's like, okay, sweet. I'm living inside my gift. But for each person, it might be something different. But there are always opportunities to serve. And if what you're thinking is like, well, I don't know how to use my gift to serve the church, please find somebody in leadership. And we will get you involved in that. And if we don't, we're not doing our job right. And so find elders, throwing that on you, deacons, throwing that on you. If somebody comes to you and we don't have a spot for them to serve, let's make one. And not just because it's like, well, you can pick up trash because there's nothing else to do. Because we are called to serve God for his glory. That's the motive behind all of it. And so God called us to serve. God actually commands us to serve. It's a command from God. He is God. He has all authority. He says to serve. But we have to have the right heart behind serving as well. Because I feel a lot of times when we don't serve, and this is just introspection into my own heart, a lot of times when I don't serve, it's because my heart is in the wrong place. It's because I'm not going to get attention for that. Or it's because I feel like I'm above that. That's somebody else's business. It's not for me to deal with, which is wrong. We call that pride, which is totally wrong. It's a sin. So God calls for us to humble ourselves. God calls for us to serve him because it should be a blessing to serve. It is a blessing to serve. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are the words of Jesus. That is a promise from Jesus that it is more blessed for you to give of your efforts than to be the one sitting back saying, Serve me, people because that's a horrible attitude to have. So we are called to go and serve. And whenever we are serving, we are serving God. We got to keep that in perspective because it might be like, well, they don't deserve me to serve them. Probably not. But God calls for you to serve them. God calls for you to serve him. Again, P, 
Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, you are doing everything that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to him, not to Andy, not to the elders, not to the deacons, not to you, but to Jesus belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Jesus, he tells us, whenever you do things for other people, you are actually doing it for me. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 40, Jesus makes the statement. He says, I was hungry and you gave me some food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous person will be like, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did I see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did I even see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So let's get that in our heads, that when we are serving other people, we are serving Jesus. We are serving our king. We are serving the God who held nothing back so that we could live for him. So which will be better? Just play this out in your mind. Answer this question yourself. Which will be better? When you are standing before Jesus, which is going to be better for you to say? Saying, Jesus, I had great attendance. Or, Jesus, I held nothing back. I served where people needed to be served. I helped where help was needed. I gave where giving was needed. Jesus, I did everything for you. Which is going to be better? So say, Jesus, hey, <laughs> I barely squeaked in. I mean, like I got here and I, I did the bare minimum. You still get into heaven. Or saying, Jesus, I sold out entirely for you. Because Jesus, you are everything to me. I wanted like nothing compared to you. I wanted to know you. I wanted to live for you. I wanted to serve you. And so I got so serious about what you say your church is. Because God, I believe it is powerful. I believe when you say the gates of hell will not prevail against it, you mean the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let's go, God. We're going to fight, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. But again, the motive behind it is love. We have to have the love in our hearts. Galatians 5, 13 through 14. Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So go out of your way to help and serve them. And Paul, he even says, after 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's saying like, hey, you have spiritual gifts, and some of you, you can speak in tongues, some of you prophesy, some of you have mercy, compassion, some of you are really good with your hands. He says, all of that is good, you are one body, but let me tell you, there is still a better way. And then he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that I can serve, I can speak, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men, but I have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, he says, I'm nothing. Love must be at the center of it. He says, I can give away all I have, and I can even deliver my body up to be burned. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. And then he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but instead it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You can't be like, well, I'm done loving you. Because then it's not a true love. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest is love. It has to be the motive for why we do the things we do. Love for God, number one, and and love for his people, number two. And so with love, though, comes humility. Because love is not going to rejoice in the wrongdoing or the mistakes of somebody else. Pride will rejoice in those. Love won't. And so love comes with humility, or humility comes with love. And God notices what you do. So again, there is no small task when it's done for God. We see the woman, Jesus, is sitting there, and he's watching everybody give their money. And you have the Pharisees and the rich, and they're like clanking all their coins in the copper pot, like really letting it be known, this is how much I'm giving. And then you had a widow come in with just two small coins, and she puts them in there humbly. But she gave everything she had out of her heart, and Jesus says she is more blessed because she gave all she had. Everybody else, they gave out of their excess time. They're like, well, I got a couple extra moments here, so I'm going to give there. Whereas this woman, she said, this is all I have, so I'm going to give everything I have. And so there Jesus is talking about money, but I believe also it's not just money because I don't think Jesus is like, hey, you wrote me a check. We can call it good there. But Jesus wants our talents. He wants our gifts. He wants everything we have to be given to him. But I want to give a warning about this as well because Jesus sees everything that we do. But at the same time, we can get so caught up on serving, so caught up on, I have to do this, I have to do this, that we still miss the mark. There's got to be a balance in there. You can't be like, well, I'm the one that always does this and then miss out on Jesus. Because Mary and Martha are the perfect example of that. Where Jesus comes into their house and, uh, my goodness, 
I'm going to get the name switched up, I bet. But we're going to say Mary is the one that is at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is the one in the, am I right? Thank you. Somebody's nodding. So Martha is the one that is in the kitchen. She's like cleaning the dishes, trying to get everything ready. And she's like, can you believe that Mary's sitting at your feet, Jesus? Can you tell her to come help me? And Jesus says, Mary has chose what is important to her and she has chose the right thing. So even though God is calling us to serve, it's easy for us to get caught up in that and missing, again, the important thing. It's about people, and it's about Jesus and living for him. And so we are called to do it all for God and for his glory. And lastly, the reason that we do this is because we have the ultimate example set up for us. I mean, we have Jesus as the example of service. His whole life revolved around serving. And if you ever think, well, I just don't have time to serve. You're making something else an idol over what God is calling for you to do in the first place. But then Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, I mean, he only has a couple hours left. And what does he do? He takes his disciples, he takes them up into the upper room, and he, he could have been like, I mean, if it were me, and I knew what was going to come, I, I'd be like, oh my goodness, guys, can you, can you get me that over there? Like, I'm about to go through something tough. I need to save my energy. Hey, can you bring me that over there? Like, I, I need help. Like, you guys serve me. But that's not what Jesus did. In John chapter 13, Jesus he, he gets out a bowl, he removes his outer cloak, and he starts washing their feet. He serves them. And then it says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And then he ends up saying, as I have done, you are called to go and do that as well serve one another. So the example that Jesus had is that he served other people. I mean, this was the, really the example of his life. Just think about it. Jesus was king. He created everything, and yet he came to be a servant. He was creator of everything, and yet he served the very thing that he created. He served the very people that were going to abandon him in a couple of hours. The very person who was going to deny him three times in a couple of hours. He served the very person that was that night going to turn him over to the most horrendous death possible. And yet he still said, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to serve you all, and I'm going to serve you. He didn't say, you're betraying me, not doing it. You're denying me, not doing it. You're going to abandon me, not doing it. He served every single one of them. He had all the power possible. He's God, and yet he gave it all up for us. That's the reason he did it all, was for you, for me, to set an example of how to serve out of love, because he did it for his love for us. And so he humbled himself. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If that's what the king did, 
That's what we're expected to do as well. To stop saying it's about me and to start saying it's about Jesus and those that he cares for, which is his people. He cares for everybody. Jesus is the ultimate example of what life should look like. And his life was a life of humility, love, and service. Philippians 2 tells us this. It tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. You have this in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the attitude that we should have. It's not about us. I hope you didn't come here this morning thinking about yourself. I hope you don't leave here this morning thinking about yourself. But how can we glorify God more through loving other, che- uh, other people better? How can we do that? That is the mindset that we should have. That it is all for His glory. And so church is not attending a service. This is a fraction of what it is to be the church. But instead, church is also serving one another. Using the gifts that God's given you to serve. And I believe that through humility, this is how we fight the gates of hell. This is how we fight back against what Jesus said. The gates of hell will not prevail. We do this through humility. Because Satan is going to try and divide his people. I mean, man, look at all the divisions that have happened in the history of the church because of trivial stuff. Well, I didn't like that, so I'm going to leave and go here. I didn't—your pride is talking to you if that's the case. Whereas what humility is saying is it's not about me. But it's about God and about his people. And humility is going to bring us that much closer. And so we do that by lowering ourselves. And truly, again, grasping the message of the cross. Because the message of the cross has no room for pride in our lives. When we truly realize what Christ did, that there's nothing we could do. And yet he gave his life for us. It should humble us. Because none of us can be like, well, I did this good enough, and that's why. But instead, Christ gave his life for all. That's the way we receive salvation, is with humility. Pride is going to think, well, I need to be good enough, or I am good enough. Whereas humility is like, there is nothing in me that can save myself. So I need the saving work of Jesus. And so if you have not received that salvation even, we always want to give that opportunity for people to come forward and place their life in Christ. And it takes humility. One, 
Because I just said the words come forward and some are like, "Mm -mm, I'm not walking down those aisles. And we have to humble ourselves because our pride is going to say, don't do that. But again, we come forward because then you are making a statement to everybody else in this room and that is watching online. Hey, I want to live my life for Christ. Hey, I need the saving work of Jesus in my life. I am professing he is my Lord. And you know what happens when you do that? Satan comes after you. He starts attacking you. And so then you have this great cloud of witnesses surrounding you saying, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Hey, I see you're struggling. Keep fighting. Hey, how can I serve you? How can I help you? And so that's one big thing about coming forward. It is taking that step of faith that, God, you call me to just bear my testimony to people. And I'm telling you, this is a great place to do it. But we must humble ourselves in that. So if you have not placed your faith in Christ, the offer is there. He is saying, come. Come to my altar and just give your life over to me. And then I will give you a life abundantly. And if you have already placed your faith in Christ, hallelujah. I love that we have a great group of people here who are strong believers. But now it's time to fight. Now it's time to take Matthew 16, 18 seriously. And stop thinking of church just as something we do, but actually you are a part of an army and we have been called on a mission. And so far we've learned we do that through sharing our public testimony and our personal testimony, and we do that by humbling ourselves and serving one another. There's an unwritten rule about churches, and I hate this. But it says 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. Let's not have that be the case. If God has given you a gift, he is telling you, use that gift to serve me. And we have many people who do serve. And I thank you so much for serving. But we have some who are just saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to sit and I'm going to go. God, not me. God is telling you that is not what I expect of my people. But instead, I expect them to serve one another for the glory of me. And so the command is there. Serve one another. The question is, are you going to be obedient to that? Are you going to respond to what God is calling you as the church to do? Or are you just going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. What is your response to what God is calling you to do in that? Father God, you have given us this call. And God, you have set the example of service by coming and humbling yourselves for us just so that we can have relationship with you. And God, you set an example of this is what life is. And it's a life of service. Service to one another, but ultimately, God's service to you. And so I just pray, God, if there be anybody in here who has not placed their faith in you, God, let them see that salvation is there, and it is through the work of the cross, the work of Jesus. And then, God, for your people who are here, and God, who uh, maybe they're annoyed by what I said, But God, let it be your words, not mine. 
And God, your word does say that we are called to live our lives for you and for other people and to serve them. And so God, help us as a church, help those who are serving to get more serious about serving and to be refreshed as to why they served. And God, help those who are not serving to get, get convicted by what your word has to say, that we are called to be the church to one another. So God, I just pray, continue to work in us in the way that only you can. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. If you'll stand with me, this is our time of invitation. As Andy says, as we sing this song, come forward. Mm -hmm.